This winter, L.L. Bean wants to help you get outfitted for all that's out there with tips and advice for heading outdoors and exploring all the possibilities of the season. Finding time outside can feel tough in winter, but it's just steps away if you turn your backyard into a winter oasis. Add a fire pit to keep you warm, some winter games to keep you active, and some all-weather furniture and outdoor blankets for chilling out comfortably. Just because it's cold out, that doesn't mean you have to be cold. For more fun ideas, easy how-tos, and inspiring stories, visit llbean.com slash guide. The establishment of Shenandoah National Park also displaced mountain communities living within its bounds. Using eminent domain, the Commonwealth of Virginia and the federal government seized property from thousands. Although they were compensated, landowners were given no choice. Whether or not they owned their land, they were forced to vacate their homes. I'm Jason Epperson, and today on America's National Parks, Part 2 of our history of Shenandoah. In the summer of 1928, George Pollock hired teacher and self-proclaimed sociologist Miriam Sizer to teach for two months at a school in Old Rag, Virginia. The small rural community wasn't far from Skyland and was within the bounds of the emerging park. Sizer recorded her time in Old Rag, providing an unvarnished example of the attitudes toward rural poverty during the 20s and 30s. Ultimately, her scholarly pieces were used to justify the forced relocation of hundreds of families who had resided along the Blue Ridge for generations. Sizer wrote to William E. Carson, the chairman of the Virginia State Conservation and Development Commission, on Pollock's Skyland Stationery. She described Mountain Hollow residents as, quote, our contemporary ancestors, steeped in ignorance, wrapped in self-satisfaction and complacency, possessed of little or no ambition, little sense of citizenship, little comprehension of law or respect for law. Sizer continued that displacing these communities, quote, without some preparation, might push the residents to become either paupers or criminals. The Commonwealth of Virginia hired Sizer to study the mountain residents for three years while park preparations forced their relocation. National Park Service Director Horace Albright wrote that, quote, the mountain people of low intelligence will have to be removed before we will open the road for general use. First, because many of these people are dangerous, if they take a dislike to officers of the park or tourists, they may do them bodily harm or kill them. Second, because they are inclined to be beggars and will be a nuisance, even if they are not dangerous. 
Albright added that mountain communities' living conditions were so poor that they would bring unfavorable criticism on the National Park Service if too many visitors saw them. Just as George Pollock was invested in the rustic aesthetics of the cabins at Skyland, he profited from public fascination with the Mountain Hollow folk. The resort owner marched park advocates through the nearby mountain community of Corbin Hollow. Quote, I knew without actually visiting these people in their homes, one could never conceive of their poverty and wretchedness. In reality, contrary to the claims of Sizer, Albright, and Pollock, mountain residents participated in mass consumer culture, just like early 20th century American communities across the country. Archaeologists have unearthed mail-order toys, cooking and dining dishes, and 78 RPM records. Like economically diverse households across the nation, a recent study suggests that financial means dictated Mountain Hollow communities' participation in consumer culture, rather than a mythic, high-isolated and rustic way of life or cultural identity. What's more, Mountain Hollow residents were well aware of the public fascination with their so-called primitive ways of living. Like Pollock, many used this to their advantage. Prospering from tourism in the area, mountain communities had turned from substance agriculture toward wage labor and selling handmade goods, such as paper flowers, handmade baskets, and moonshine, to those vacationing at Skyland. While Skyland visitors may have made merry with the hollow people's moonshine, hollow folk themselves preferred the bonded and commercially produced stuff. Because Mountain Hollow communities were economically entwined with Skyland's tourist economy, when the Great Depression descended in the early 1930s, mountain folk were vulnerable to economic downturn. The consequential poverty was opportune for those advocating the removal of mountain communities for the foundation of Shenandoah National Park. Without providing context, the poverty in mountain communities, though not that different from what affected impoverished Americans across the country, gave park advocates the opportunity to claim that forcibly displacing these so-called primitive people was for their own good. One resident of Corbin Hollow, who spoke openly about how betrayed he felt by George Pollock's efforts to displace residents of the Hollows, said that Pollock and other advocates of displacement didn't ever say anything about the people who worked and made a good living and lived peacefully and nicely. The Roosevelt White House created the Resettlement Administration in 1935 to facilitate the resettlement of impoverished rural and urban communities, as well as addressing agricultural issues such as soil erosion. Arthur Rothstein was the first photographer hired for the Resettlement Administration. The project would later pass to the Farm Security Administration and would eventually result in some of the greatest American photographers of the 20th century, including Dorothea Lange, Walker Evans, Russell Lee, and Ben Sean. Rothstein went to the Blue Ridge in the fall of 1935 to provide visual justification for the resettlement of Mountain Hollow communities. His photographs and their titles illustrate the prevailing narrative about the mountain folk. Photographs of women frequently list the large number of children they had, the caption suggesting a salacious and uncivilized way of life. Many photos depict crafts characterized as primitive and quintessentially Appalachian, such as peeling and drying apples on wood-shingled barn roofs or weaving baskets. Titles highlight poverty and lack. Examples of captions include two of the Nicholson children and their only cow, Miss Eddie Nicholson, who frequently goes to the nearby resort to beg, or making cornbread with relief flour. Other photos highlight alleged lack of intelligence. 
Virgie Corbin, Blue Ridge Mountain Girl. This girl, who is about 16, has the mentality of a child of seven. She has never advanced beyond the second grade. And Halfwit Corbin Hollow Boy. In an oral history conducted in 1964, Rothstein reflected on his time in the park, saying that his assignment was to photograph these people who were going to be moved out and photograph them in such a way that you had some idea of how they lived and what they did because their entire way of life was going to be destroyed. Quote, this record that I made, I think, served a very useful purpose. It showed how a certain group of people in the United States lived at a particular time, and they no longer exist. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick break for a message from our favorite place to search for the best campground for your national park adventures, Campendium. Campendium lists virtually every campground in North America and every type of campsite you can imagine. From remote backcountry tent sites to RV parks with water slides and pickleball courts, you can search by price, including free or by cell service, elevation, whether pets are allowed. Dozens of different search filters will bring you detailed user reviews so you can find the best campsite for your trip. Campendium is free at campendium.com or on the app, and you can upgrade to a RoadPass Pro membership to unlock an ad-free experience with more detailed cell service reports, public land map overlays, trail maps, and more. A RoadPass Pro membership also includes other premium apps like Togo RV and Road Trippers. Visit campendium.com or download the app today and save $10 off a RoadPass Pro membership with code RVMILES10X. In February 1934, National Park Service Director Arno B. Kammerer announced that ahead of the government accepting title to Shenandoah National Park, everyone residing within the bounds of the park would be relocated. This would affect hundreds of families, between three and 4,000 people, and was not a short process. When President Roosevelt formally dedicated the park in 1936, some families were still nearly two years away from being removed from their land. The Civilian Conservation Corps demolished all but one community, Nicholson Hollow, which was preserved to present a so-called authentic example of isolated rural mountain living to visitors of the park. At the time, the American eugenics movement was thriving. Virginia legalized forced sterilization in 1924. The practice was nationally enshrined when the legislation survived a challenge that made its way to the U.S. Supreme Court in Buck v. Bell in 1927. The highest court in the land ruled that the forced sterilization of, quote, any patient afflicted with hereditary forms of insanity, imbecility, and other similar things did not violate the 14th Amendment, which promises due process and equal protection. It's estimated that as many as 8,300 people were sterilized in Virginia between 1927 and 1979, because by social standards of the day, they were not fit to be full members of society or whole citizens under the law. At the time, it was believed that government sovereignty over procreation was the solution to poverty and sickness in society. 
Paul Popino, a leading eugenicist, said in 1935 that sterilization was an American contribution to social welfare. President of the American Eugenics Society, Ellsworth Huntington, wrote that the sterilization of, quote, inadequates could be accomplished by segregation in institutions such as insane asylums, homes for feeble-minded, reformatories, and the like, where the inmates of the two sexes are kept separate. Most of those sterilized in Virginia were patients at state-run institutions for the mentally ill. Many had physical deformities, were determined feeble-minded, a pseudoscientific catch-all diagnosis of the day, or were simply homeless. Most were not informed that they had been sterilized, and many who were did not understand the consequences of such procedures, or agreed to be sterilized under duress, such as in exchange for their release. This was the context in which residents of the newly established Shenandoah National Park were displaced. Some families living within the new park's bounds were moved to homes in new suburban communities that boasted electricity and running water. But many families living within the park bounds were renters or squatters, and many landowners missed the chance to show they held title to their land and thus lost the right to their property. Unable to prove their eligibility for a government loan, many families in Blue Ridge found themselves forcibly moved to mental institutions, most to the state colony for epileptics and feeble-minded in Lynchburg, Virginia. Today, it's unknown exactly how many people who were removed from the park were committed to the state colony, nor how many individuals were sterilized. But it is known that in some cases, whole families were forcibly institutionalized some of which had been photographed by Arthur Rothstein for the Resettlement Administration mere weeks before. The forced removal of Mountain Hollow communities continues to shape the discourse and tone of local history. Organizations like the Blue Ridge History Project and the Children of Shenandoah have worked with Shenandoah National Park on making historically accurate information available to visitors, advancing the study of Mountain Hollow communities, and for the public memorializing of the communities who gave up their homes so that the American public can enjoy the park today. We close this episode with a quote. As part of its fundraising efforts in Washington, the Shenandoah National Park Association circulated a brochure that read, This vacation paradise almost at your door, which you can leave as heritage to your children and your children's children, is worth even more and is a challenge to every American who wants to enrich the future of his country. This episode of America's National Parks was written by Sophie Pooks, Kelsey Skomberg is our script editor. Peter Shen is the author of our theme music and our audio editor. And I'm your host, Jason Epperson. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. If you're new here, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes delivered to your feed. If you're looking for photos and tips about visiting national parks, check out our America's National Parks Facebook group. And if you're interested in RV travel, we hope you'll also check out our RV Miles podcast and YouTube channel. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. And by Campendium. Find listings and reviews for thousands of campsites for your next national park adventure at Campendium.com. <laughs>